Headliner Radio, the creative voice. All right, welcoming producer, songwriter and musician Mark Ralph. Hello, Mark. How are you doing? Hi, very well, thanks. Amazing. And you're your studio in London at the site? Yes, that's right, yeah. Amazing. Whereabouts in London are you based? Uh, I'm in northwest London and um, I have a studio complex with um, five studios in the building. I, I built uh, four of them um, when I moved in in 2014 and um, I have um, various different people in the building with me who some I collaborate with and some I um, uh, just rent the space to but um, they're all people who've come uh to me you know through either just colleagues or friends i know friends or, or people i know from the music business so uh, it's quite nice having a, a a sort of community of different people all working in the same building you know the, there's mm. the opportunity to um collaborate on things and and um certainly in the past uh, some have been artists who i've been working with who've come into the building and rented a space and and kind of um been here and and and, and we've worked in in each other's studios uh, you know as uh as 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 required sort of thing you know but it's it's uh yeah that 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 was that's uh where i'm at and um as i say my 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 space is a uh, is the biggest of all of them here, but it's um, an SSL room with a um, a, a good sized live space, and and we've also got um, space up on the roof for kind of um, you know chilling out in the summer, having barbecues, things like that. Mm. <laughs> so uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, my mouth was watering some of the analog stuff. I could see. <laughs> behind you. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I've got um, quite a lot of gear that I've collected over the years, and uh, you know it's all been things that I've just, you know, had a, a particular kind of, you know, um, I don't know, uh, I guess a, a use for uh, musically, but also, you know, part of me is a bit of a collector, you know, I think we all, we all um, love having toys and having um, mm-hmm. things to play with, you know, and, and um, you know, it, I guess sometimes it can borderline on uh, or border on sort of, um, you know, just wanting it for the sake of having another thing in your collection sort of thing, which you, you have to be careful of. I think it's important to get, um, you know, to, 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 if you're going to, if you're going to collect gear and you're making music that, you know, it's better if you're using that, I think, uh, rather than just having it sit there, you know, having said, you said that, you know, I work with, um, all sorts of different people. Some people are more inclined to only use, um, soft sense and use, uh, stuff in the box and, and other people are very much kind of, um, into using Apple gear and, and synths and, um live instruments as well so so really i guess my setup is uh being is kind of born out of wanting to have all the options really and wanting to have the um you know uh, option of working in a hybrid sort of fashion where i'm doing some digital some analog and and mixing it up um i think what's important for me um because i work with bands and i work with um you know in in scenarios where several musicians are all 
writing or playing or recording or producing all at the same time. I think um, if you've got, uh, you know, a console and you've got um, lots of different bits of equipment, I think it really helps to, um, uh, when, when you're in those situations where, you know, several people all want to play and all want to contribute and all want to perform at the same time. I think um, that's where kind of doing things strictly in the box um, becomes a little bit more difficult because, you know, the band, you, you know, you want to be able to have four people playing at the same time if, if you choose to want to capture, you know, a performance and, and you know, four guys sitting on the sofa at the back of the room staring at one bloke's head whilst he does stuff on the computer is not not really the same type of um mm-hmm. experience or the same type of um you know musical uh kind of journey um in the studio so i, th- I think it's you know it's always been important for me to have um the ability to be able to um you know have 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 several um things be plugged in at once and and several people will be playing them and 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 that you can't really do without having a certain amount of of hardware and gear you know yeah i mean the analog versus digital debate is just going to rage on forever isn't it are you sort of somewhere down the middle i guess you have to be as a producer like yourself working with all these different yeah i think what's what's quite interesting is so and i wouldn't say this is a rule of thumb but i've i've come across a lot of people a lot of people i work with who are perhaps older than me who um only had um the the option of analog uh, equipment to record with or very kind of early digital uh pieces of equipment um are quite sort of um unwedded to the idea of using analog gear and they sort of see um all of the digital the latest digital uh computer-based um um software and equipment as as being the future and 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 are kind of far more interested in uh in that side of things whereas people who are a bit younger than me who perhaps never got to use a tape machine and never got to use a uh a, a con- an analog console and uh, etc uh, and, and don't have much in the way of um you know analog outboard gear or, or synthesizers are sort of um a little bit more um misty-eyed about the whole kind of uh, analog gear uh, because it is a it is a different world to the world that they're used to so um i think the grass is always off well it's often greener on the other side and i think um if um you um uh, have, have been working in one particular mode let's say completely in the box for the entirety of your um musical journey then then to step into a studio that has um uh, an abundance of um uh, old classic gear perhaps perhaps things that you've only ever seen uh software versions of then i think uh it's a quite an interesting experience to be able to plug you know an 808 in and actually program an 808 and hear it doing what it does rather than just the um the samples or the the sort of recreations digital recreations of it um i, I i'm not really I'm not really a purist on either side. I don't. I can see the the benefits. I guess I probably came through um, uh, on my journey at a time when things were switching from one to the other. So I I did get plenty of experience with um, you know 
with recording on two inch and recording on, you know, even, you know, mixing down to half inch or quarter inch or whatever, and using SSLs to mix with and, um, you know, uh, having, you know, uh, an experience of all of the old classic kind of vintage synthesizers and, and, and um, uh, outboard gear and, and, have also um, made a lot of records that are entirely in the box, uh, even from the from the early days of of soft synths b- before they were as as kind of reliable and versatile as they are now. So I kind of um, have have grown up uh, perhaps with with a foot in in each camp, and and I'm I'm quite comfortable, you know, flexibly moving between them. You know, some some projects um, I'll mix um on the desk and and kind of have and 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 certainly you know i use the desk desk is a very important tool during the production process kind of shaping the sounds and using the output gear to create sounds to to to, um uh for, for the production side of it but but um and even even with writing you know if you're writing in a situation where a lot of people are playing multiple instruments all at the same time then the desk does become an important part of that process as well so um but 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 equally um when records uh, just require that kind of um uh, very digital clinical kind of um uh, sound that, that and, and 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 processing and production that that really you know analog equipment doesn't really serve um as as well then um i'm quite happy to switch to um to, to that way of working and you know I, I i guess i did it for i always had desks and tape machines and things and then the first pro tools rig i had maybe 20 years ago i i just switched to um in the box um for maybe six years five six years until i i kind of i, I don't know i had i had a bit of a i, I kind of missed having having faders and having um things that I could run, uh, channels that I could run things through before recording. So I, 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 I was persuaded to buy a mixing desk that Connie Plank built, who was um, uh, a producer, a very um, uh, renowned kind of German producer from the 60s, 70s, who produced the first four Kraftwerk albums and built his own mixing desk. And I, I managed to get that from his son in Germany, uh, in 2007 and I guess from there I kind of fell back in love with having an analog board but as soon as you have an analog board you need to buy loads of things to plug into it otherwise uh, <laughs> it's just a mixing desk so I, I, I think I, I I then you know perhaps spent uh, the next uh, 15 years or so after that just buying things to plug into the desk and things to use and I'm, I'm you know I'm very very happy to have all of the the stuff I've got, I mean, I mean I'm, you, you always, as a as a collector and as an enthusiast, you always want more. You always think you need more things, you know, until you run out of space and you have to get a big studio. But you're always you're always thinking, oh, I really uh, I could do one of those. And it, well, once once I've got one of those, I'll be I'll be completely content. But I think I think um, after a while, you you just get to a point where you've um you, you you've you've got enough stuff and and um you know apart from just up upgrading the computer side of things i think you 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 um um reach a point where you 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 probably got enough toys you know i think that's uh, i think that's where i'm at at the moment yeah because my understanding with speaking to producers like yourself and also 
film composers is an interesting one as well. It feels like mm. if there's the luxury of time, you can spend, have some fun, you know, tuning your old synths and accommodating those kind of wobbly sounds. But when it's crunch time, that's when the, the digital stuff is your friend, isn't it? When you've got the deadlines mm. coming in quick, you can go straight in the box and get something done nice and quick as well. So it's, that's where they complement each other, it feels like as well. Yeah, I, I definitely think there's a, a convenience uh, and also a necessity to deliver uh, things. And, 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 and if you know that, um, you know exactly what you want. I mean, obviously, you know, if, if, if you have a few go-to sounds, which I do on a lot of, I do, I'm mean, obviously, I'm, you know, for example, some, some of the synths I've got can store your patches. So, uh, but, but obviously with, with, um, with, with, analog synths with with hardware synths um you're often patching in effects patching in other outboard to sort of create that sound so to get back to those sounds that your go-to sounds can be quite be very time consuming and and you won't necessarily get exactly the thing that you're looking for whereas um obviously in the software world um you tend to sort of create a sound and then save it and, and use it uh, later and use um uh you know be able to sort of dial into things very quickly so you know when when you are you know if, if i'm in a writing session for example um most of the time if i'm if i'm you know concentrating on writing melody and lyrics with other writers i'll i'll, I'll probably just use something very very quick and very easy to get the right type of sound uh and and, and that's where you know soft synths are, are, are probably indispensable really because you know if you spend an hour tweaking around on a hardware synth then um the uh you know <laughs> you probably lost the idea that you might have had for the song in the first place um yeah. so uh, do, do you know what i mean those, those kind of situations it you know i definitely reach for in the box i think you know i, I think i think really um um i've got no hard and fast rules and and sometimes when you just can't get something to sound authentic or, or 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 quite the quality of the sound that you're looking for in the box whilst you're building up your your track or you're working on things then um sometimes the you know plugging the moog in is the only way of getting the thing that you you're looking for but i suppose um you know it's it's about knowing knowing your your palette knowing what you've uh, how to get what you what you want again, and you know, people who work own purely digitally can can do that probably a little bit more easily because they can save things and they can um, quickly just pull up chains of of, of effects and plugins and whatnot. Um, and um, but 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 equally, if you if you have an appreciation of the quality of of the analog gear and you know what it can sound like compared to what you can get in the box and you and you and you prefer that then that 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 way you know you you can make those decisions um those kind of informed decisions as you go along you know but yes certainly um uh, delivery times have have become very very kind of um critical now and also the people you're delivering to um assume that everybody can have everything on total recall all of the time and um we can do 50 different rounds of tweaks on a mix for example and just keep on going back to it 
exactly as it was and change something. Now, if, if you're working purely in the analog world, then that just isn't possible uh, or isn't viable, really, uh, to just keep on recalling things um, analog and, and making the tiniest of changes back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. So I think um, if you are going to work as a mixer with um, a board and with outboard gear, you have to find a way in the hybrid world of making that possible. And the way I do it is um, by kind of starting off mixing on the desk on the SSL, um, getting it perhaps up to a 70% stage where I'm happy with the overall aesthetic of the mix um using a lot of the outboard gear then printing um, my engineer will print every single channel and then sometimes some subdivisions of the channels and then i bring it all back up on eight faders four stereos um uh, which can be recalled um on the ssl computer and um and then work on it from there in the box and that's uh but then obviously print print an analog mix through the eight faders but you know that way um there's a minimal amount of recalling you get your analog board mix but with all of the ability to um uh automate uh, a lot of stuff inside the computer and do all of the um uh bits of the um uh, mixing that, that that are more difficult certainly mm. uh from from the automation point of view but also on audio uh clip gain editing and things things like that and uh clip effects and things like that in pro tools that um uh, would just be impossible um you know with a tape machine and uh and an ssl yeah no, so mark in terms of properly introducing you you started your life as a professional session guitarist is that right um you talk a little bit about yeah, that and I mean, how that came about for you Yes, I, I, um, I was born in Stoke-on-Trent and I grew up in Stoke-on-Trent. I did live for two years in Slough um, and my dad, funnily enough, worked at Eton College. So I, I ended up <laughs> studying classical guitar at Eton, even though I'm <laughs> state school, <laughs> a product of state school through and through. I, wow. I, did do, I did do two years of cycling to the music department in Eton and having classical guitar lessons. Now I'd, I started playing guitar when I was six. So I'd already learned to, to copy Jimi Hendrix and um, Eric Clapton and people like that. And I was kind of obsessed with electric guitar. And, and also obviously when you learn to play by ear, learning classical guitar is not a very enjoyable experience because you you just feel like a sort of um, a human kind of pianola. You're just kind of, um re- regurgitating um a written score which you know it, it actually was in hindsight very good for my discipline in some ways I learned to read music even though i didn't keep it up and i'm not um i'm not a a reader of the dots i, I kind of became a, a good reader of chord charts and things like that but um uh i i kind of uh yeah i i, I guess i couldn't wait to finish classical guitar and get back to rock and roll guitar Mm -hmm. but um i i kind of had all sorts of different um sort of twists and turns in terms of the um music i was listening to i kind of went through a jazz phase i got into disco i got into you know um uh, i was playing you know rock guitar as well and kind of learning to write songs and things from a very early age but as soon as i i got to 18 and i was just finishing college i managed to get um just just uh, by coincidence a, a gig playing guitar on we are family by sister sledge and i was replacing 
Nile Rogers guitar parts, which were missing from the tapes sent over uh, from America. And um, they re-released it and it was a hit. And, and I, I, I was kind of inspired by, you know, the, 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 the feeling of having my guitar playing on a, on a hit record in the nineties, uh, it was, and I, 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 uh, felt so kind of, um, inspired by that, that I decided to not go to university and study electronic engineering, which is what I was go- destined to do and to, uh, just take a year out and see if I could make my music, uh, career work. And, and that actually started before I was doing session guitar. I was kind of doing more kind of live gigging with bands playing covers and things like that and also teaching guitar to people because obviously I'd had even though I was only 18 years old I'd had a good 12 years of playing by that stage and um I was quite uh because uh, both my parents are school teachers or work school teachers um I I'm quite uh you know I, I think I had it in me to sort of have that kind of imparting of knowledge uh, to other people. It felt natural to to do that. So I, I uh, um, started uh, teaching guitar up in Stoke, but but I think after about a couple of years of it, and certainly um, uh, I, I'd made some contacts in London and sort of had, had started to, you know, wonder about whether I should move down to London. I decided to make the move um, when I was, I think it was 21, moved to London and um, um, shortly afterwards started sort of getting gigs playing on records and um, uh, going into studios and learning how to, um, you know, be a session musician. Now, it's a, it's a very different skill to uh, being a member of a band. You know, when, you, when you're a guitarist in a band, you can just do whatever you like and that uh, no one's going to tell you it's right or it's wrong, um, you know. Uh, but unfortunately going into a studio and sitting there and, and having to come up with the goods uh, under pressure is is very much uh, a, a different a different skill and a different kind of discipline and I think um, um, I you know that that for me was a um, for you know a, a real eye-opener and certainly working in London which is you know a, a step up from any any sort of gigs I was doing in Stoke-on-Trent uh so so i i i you know ended up uh, playing on various records with tom jones natalie and bruglia people like that to, um uh, there was a producer called stephen haig who produced a lot of the pet shop boys um songs and also nelly hooper so it was a, a you know well-known producer he both of those i used to go and do um you know uh, uh Gwen Stefani I, I played with with Andrew Core um uh Scylla Black Ronnie Wood people like that I, I did all sorts of really interesting guitar sessions in the studio and also I used to play live with Royers um on festivals and things like that and um you know I, I had a really interesting variety of different things that, that really kind of gave me a really good insight into how studio sessions worked you know I had my own studio and I was making my own music at the time but going into a professional studio like Rack Studios or Mayfair Studios in London I used to work in and um, Wessex and places like that um, and actually having to be put under pressure and to play for people and but, but also observing the roles of the assistant engineer the engineer the producer um, and seeing all of the equipment as well gave me a, a real insight into 
you know w- what was become my my um kind of you know day job many years later so i think i think you know as as much as i um was was keen to sort of you know develop beyond just being a musician at the time i think it was very very important for me to you know it's it's all a very important learning process you know um whatever you do in the music business in on your journey going through i think the things that you pick up and the things that you um learn aren't always obvious at the time but they um become obvious in hindsight um if that makes sense mm. yeah i mean but how how do the two lives compare to now in the studio because i guess as a session guitarist there can't be much room for error at all you don't want the artists and the musicians all looking at you if you play a well it's it's very like obviously if you play live and and obviously session guitarists can be you know live gig touring musicians as well you know but like a live gig as we all know you know you can drop a drop a bum note and um it's gone in an instant and and kind of forgotten it may not it depends who you're your musical director is or if you're or who's, who's employing you it may well not be uh forgotten but if you're um you know generally speaking uh you know that that that's that's uh uh you know there's a bit more margin for error i think i think if you're working in a studio not only have you got to get your performances spot on and certainly if you're in a situation where you know, everybody, you know, multiple people are all playing live and you're trying to get the take and you make the mistake, then that is, that is an incredible amount of pressure. Um, But also it's not just about, um, you know, the musical performance. It's about being professional, turning up on time or early, bringing all of the correct equipment with you, having, having a good attitude in the studio, not upsetting people and that sounds like mm-hmm. an obvious thing but you know i i had a i once had a guitarist of a band who was trying to pick my brains about becoming a session musician but he he, he had no studio etiquette whatsoever and was would sit at the back of the room whilst i was trying to get sounds and, and just strum on an unplugged electric guitar and i'd have to keep telling him to shut up and go out of the room and, and all the rest of it and 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 you know the the i had to tell him you know i said you, you may be able to play really well but your attitude is just terrible and if you walk into a studio and do that type of thing in front of a producer you'll never get any you'll, you'll never get another gig you know and i think it's it's um people don't understand that that you know if, if you're a producer your, your time's very precious you've got a lot of work to do in a very sometimes limited amount of time and and when you when you want to when you hire a musician you want them to come in um bring everything bring all the right equipment with them do the job and get out as quickly as possible so that you can get on and get your record finished you know and and as a musician you need to kind of be um obviously hyper aware of that and also just very professional and and um very kind of considerate and also very um kind of amenable i suppose just just it's about it's kind of about your personality and about your um how 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 um well you fit in with the people that you're working with and you have to be the kind of person who fits in well with people now a lot of people you know who study on 
courses to be session musicians, to be professional musicians. They don't really ever get taught that. And it's probably something you can't ever be taught how to be um, a likable person. <laughs> it's, it's something you just have to realise is, is a big part of the job. It's a bit like um, if you join a band and you become a, 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 a an integral part of a uh, a, a successful band that's touring uh you know the most important thing aside from your musical ability is uh is to get on with everybody and to make it a an enjoyable uh, kind of um, seamless kind of um um experience with as few problems as possible and i think i think that's what i worked out i know you know the other thing i guess i thought as a guitarist growing up i always thought that um lead guitar was the ultimate kind of you know uh ambition you know to playing solos and you know all the rest of it and in, in some ways that's probably the least of all of the required skills you'll ever have as a session guitarist it's literally rhythm guitar almost entirely uh because yeah. most people when they want guitar on a record they just don't they don't want some kind of joe satriani jumping in and you know taking taking the attention away from um the record it, 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 it's you know it's occasionally you do occasionally you you do solos on records but it's most of the time it's about um the um the right type of guitar the right type of sound and then playing playing rhythm parts and playing them well and with the right feel and not making mistakes so yeah that's uh that that, that i would say is 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 perhaps a good summary of of the job yeah, no, amazing. And then at some point down the line, you're suddenly doing remixes for the likes of Lady Gaga and Block Party and Florence and yes. Dean. Is, is this what gradually <laughs> moved you into the world of production? Well, I think say, what or? I think before that, um, because I'd always had a studio, I spent a couple of years. Uh, I, I got dropped. I got signed and then dropped. Um, my first band I was in and and that uh, it wasn't a big record it was more like a product uh, a development deal but um, uh, I had to get a job and I got a job at a music hire company which is now doesn't exist but it was a uh, that's where I learned how to use a lot of the equipment it's why where I learned about the history of a lot of equipment I used to take Telefunken 251s apart and have a look inside them and you know uh, I used to borrow half of the stock in the warehouse and see what it sounded like in my studio um, and I got a really really good sort of education from that job that I thought was really just a sort of stopgap job in between me getting another record deal um in a band but i i i actually all the time i was doing that job i was learning you know i i, I installed a mixing desk on the set of tomorrow never dies uh james bond film which i you know was just a bit of a sort of humping gear around type job but i actually learned how to dismantle a, a large format mixing console load it into a, a seven and a half ton uh, truck and take it to a film set and assemble it and then you know the the disassemble it and remove it and that uh, we, you know things like that you know t- uh, maybe nearly 10 years later I was going to Germany and doing the same thing but for the desk that I bought from Connie Plank and, and I wouldn't have had a clue how to do that had I not done that particular job and I suppose because I never had a job in a studio my education was working at a music hire company for a couple of years and just learning how to do i mean i used to go to members of queen's house and line up tape machines and you know deliver things and 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 sit and look at look at you know their sort of setups and stuff and that that was that was a real education even though i didn't didn't really realize it at the time so i i 
came um, into, I guess, when I left that job, I got another record deal and I um, started, I guess, not just working with the artists I'd got the record deal with, but but also working for lots of other different people who were making music, some of them with record deals, but a lot of them just unsigned people that I was just sort of learning how to use, trying to put into practice the uh, the, the, the the knowledge I'd learned from um you know uh, working at this company where i'd i'd kind of really develop my knowledge of all of the equipment and i um i guess that was probably the moment about 20 maybe 21 years ago or so that i i actually started to collect a lot of the gear you know uh, on a very small scale to begin with um and um just bit by bit did did uh, i guess more and more and more and more recording time and time again and a lot of it was live bands so i was kind of learning by um kind of trial and error how to record bands how to record drums you know using tape machines using pro tools and um i think that was my kind of um real entry point uh, and transition from musician into engineer producer and also mixer because i was i was mixing a lot of the things i was uh, recording and producing as well um i guess the, the the period that you're talking about when i I started doing those remixes was actually after I got another record deal. So I got signed in 2008 with a band called The Filthy Dukes. And that was uh, me and two DJs kind of um, uh, who'd had started off mi- re- doing remixes together, sort of getting a deal with Polydor and um, and then um, embarking on a sort of two and a half year um mission to try and have a hit record and have a you know make an album and tour it which we 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 did all of them except the have a hit record bit so uh, we uh, uh you know did 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 you know that again was a great experience for me it was one i think at the time i probably got to the end of it and got dropped at the end of the um sort of maybe yeah probably end of end of, or beginning of 2010 something like that and I kind of feel as though um you know at the time I felt as though it would been it had been a bit of a wasted endeavor but in actual fact um there's so much I'd learned from actually doing all of that and going through that process and and, and not too long after that I I was working with bands who were signed some of which you know years and years for example were signed to the same label that i was had been signed to and i was able to use a lot of that experience to kind of mentor the bands i was working with and the artists i was working with and really kind of you know speak to them quite empathetically about their situations and uh, give them advice on how to kind of you know um, uh, navigate all of the 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 pitfalls that um exist in in you know doing what they were doing because I'd I'd not I'd quite recently been through it myself and I think um uh you know I think what what's quite important um uh you know doing what I'm doing is 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 I guess is to be able to kind of not only guide people in their musical journeys but also to sort of be able to give them all of the other support that really doesn't have that much to do with music it's more to do with the politics of how to survive in music and how to uh, really, you know, uh, navigate these difficult uh, waters that are the, a, a career in music, you know, and um, it's, uh, there's no, obviously no set way to do it, but I think if you can add a bit of that to, to uh, the, 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 
you know the the combination of your work on with an artist with their music then you know you perhaps got a better chance of having a successful outcome with them than if you're purely just focused on um the creative music side of it um i think i think um production is so much more than just uh the musical choices you make or the technical choices i think it's about everything and i think that uh uh you know it's only really through having gone through some of those experiences good and bad yourself over the years that you really sort of um learn to be able to kind of uh you know give all of that to other people when you're working with them i think no, brilliant. And then, Mark, I guess for someone like yourself, such a kind of glistening mammoth discography, um, the best way to put it is maybe, you know, what have been the most standout projects and highlights for you so far in terms of engineering and producing with other artists? What like, springs to mind immediately for you? Well, I think you always kind of remember, if you're if you're lucky enough to have one, the first time you have a number one single, um, I think uh, King was a song that I wrote and produced with years and years. And, and that was the first thing that I'd ever done that had topped the charts. And I, you know, I've, I've had, um, I've had other ones since that I've produced and mixed um, or produced um, and, and they, they've been special, but I think that particular moment um, was just so exciting. And um, I think, uh, you know the, the, that that's a hard one to beat. Although, you know, I think I think um, so many other special kind of moments in the studio that you'll never ever ever get back again. Uh, you tend to sort of, um, I guess, your your brain is selective, and you 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 just remember certain uh, moments, and sometimes with kind of rose tinted glasses. But you know, I. I I kind of um, very early in my career, I ended up in Ronnie Wood's house in his basement recording Scylla Black with him on guitar. <laughs> and I was, uh, I'd not long been, been uh, you know, uh, really doing the production side of music. I was really just feeling my way, but I, I couldn't believe I'd kind of um, not long given up my day job. And, and there I was with uh, a couple of legends um, jamming around in a basement in uh, in one of their houses, you know. And I kind of, you know, had had I've had other other moments where you kind of got to pinch yourself. I, I, I uh, uh, you know, over the years, you know, the the uh, I think I think that you know you could look on paper at the achievements and this this record did this and this record did that, and you know, it, it's always. Um, I guess perhaps an, another moment of of real, um, I guess pride was uh, Rockabye going to number one for Christmas, you know, and it was a real nerve wracking um, kind of week of wondering whether it was going to. It's already been at number one for quite a few weeks, and uh, both myself and the members of the band, Clean Bandit, didn't really know if um, this thing we'd made in the studio. Um, a couple, you know, a couple of months before was was going to make it, but it was starting to look more and more as though it had a good chance. And then the, I, get, I guess the day we found out it was Christmas number one was it was just a brilliant, I think a brilliant feeling, you know. Mm. Um, but then there have been other ones where 
um i've been really surprised um how well things have been received and i love i guess i love that surprise i mean you know it can work both ways you know you can you can do you can make records that you think are absolute guaranteed to be popular and everyone's going to love them and then they come out and nobody really cares about them you know and that's a bit disappointing <laughs> but it can work the same way when 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 you kind of um make records without too much of a care and you just sort of are doing it purely for pleasure i think the georgia album um uh her record that um uh, i see called uh, seeking thrills which uh came out a couple of years ago was literally a case of georgia and i getting together over a period of time and just literally having the biggest amount of fun in the studio making literally just guilty pleasure music that we just thought we just we love this and we love all the records that we, we were listening to getting inspired by from sort of chicago house to sort of 80s synth pop to sort of um you know more you know kanye west and listening to you know all sorts of different um uh influences not really thinking about being targeted in our production approach and thinking you know we need to make this very clinical kind of record it was just literally what do we fancy doing today oh let's do this and and then just plugging everything in in the studio there's lots of um lots of synth uh, uh analog synth action obviously on that record and uh george is the type of person who just loves hearing thing real instruments and real you know she's a drummer herself and a great singer and um you know the 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 record i i had no kind of preconceptions that the record was going to be received as well as it was but it was a hit album and it was mercury nominated and um had i think three um a-list radio one singles and a and a b-list and a, and a you know a, a really great run over the course of a year of um of, of people really loving it and she went out and 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 you know her her whole tour that year was just um uh, really really well received and uh, a great sort of um you know I, I guess i guess an affirmation of the the the, the I guess the the theory that you don't really have to you know you don't have to be clinical and kind of um i guess theoretical about the music you're making sometimes you can just make what the hell you want to make and people love it for that reason but it's it is very difficult to sort of um really know how people are going to react to what you what you've done you know i i i still don't have a a kind of um a real uh formula for that and i don't think anybody has otherwise um everybody would keep on having you know success after success after success yeah and then mark i'd love to ask about your work with waves really so um yeah how did yes. that how did that come about when did you start first using waves plugins well i'd used waves for a long time um and just bought um them I, with 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 plugins i mean as you know the whole you know plugin world of plugins uh, is almost <laughs> becoming um infinite now there's there's mm. uh you, there's no it's not like um buying vintage analog gear you, you there's a finite number of synths that you could or, 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 or 
processing uh, outboard that you could you can buy you know with um you know at a certain point you have to with with plugins i think you have to decide which ones you like which ones are your go-tos which ones are your useful ones that you 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 find uh, uh, perform a function that none of the others can and then kind of get get really good at using the ones that you you find the most useful and and re- you know I, I always think it's better to have fewer but just have a, a really in-depth knowledge of the ones that you've got rather than having a a kind of a huge array of things that you kind of don't don't know so well you know and, and don't have um quite as much knowledge of and i think waves for me always covered so many bases in terms of the uh, and 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 the sound was always um probably as as close to the the sound as some of the outboard gear that i've that i use um and um i guess i i um was you know at the beginning i would probably just buy the odd one or the odd bundle here and there and kind of um get used to using it and i've i've been approached um as you can probably imagine by various different manufacturers to kind of endorse projects but sorry plugins and products um but i i think you know i never do that unless i'm genuinely kind of uh, a fan of the um uh of, of the products because i think you know there's no point in just you know being um you, you know putting your name behind something that you don't actually believe in you know i think it's really important that you you you're genuinely um you know a, a fan of that uh, product and waves I, I certainly was already and um they came to me and said you you know are you interested in becoming an artist and also um you know collaborating on uh, some of the plugins and um creating some of your own uh, bespoke patches and things like that and i said absolutely yes you know i I'd, I'd love to do that and i'd love to um you know um, get involved and 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 obviously uh so they they um you know uh provided me with um uh, a lot of the new ones that were coming up the new products and um i i kind of uh you know really appreciate that and and have spent time kind of making um uh, presets for all of the ones that have come along and also um have had a chance to sort of really explore the full range of everything that um waves has to offer so uh you, you know i i um you know whether it be compressors um the uh um the eqs the the kind of uh you know modulation processors um and you know more recently the lo-fi the the, the brown motion panel i think that was the first one i created presets for um i find extremely useful and versatile and i think um they 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 tend to have quality and functionality just right for me you know that's that's uh, that's what i appreciate about them yeah right so are there any sort of plugins from waves who you'd call your go-tos if you really need something mm. quickly in a session well s- sure the the um cla 76 is my favorite of the compressors and that one tends to get a lot of use i've always liked that one and i i have 
uh, various 1176s, blackface and silverface ones. And 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 to me, it, it, it gives me what those give me in the real world, you know, and, and I would say they those are probably the, uh, the most com, com you know one of the most commonly used compressors i i, I love the um that particular um model um i think uh as i say brown motions another um important one i use smack attack i think that's a really really good plug-in for transients probably the best transient designer that there is of transient um contour um and it's really versatile and and um you know the way that you can alter the transient but also also alter the um release of uh of, of a waveform and um um i think uh you know uh, th that one i would put into the category of a a sort of um a tool um rather than uh you know a, a sort of aesthetic effect effect although i suppose it you know you can create some really in, interesting things if you go quite extreme on the settings um i love our base i've always found that to be a very useful um way of sort of enhancing uh certain frequencies in the base um and our vox as well um uh, that one that one's a good go-to and then um I found that even though I've got an SSL as well, the the SSL series um, compressors, including the Mixbus compressor. I mean, I've got a an SSL E series desk, so I, I do have those channels. But but the the um, uh, the waves recreations of those um, are so similar to what I've got on uh, the desk that I can quite quite seamlessly, you know, if I've if I've got multiple things coming up the same channel and I want to give them uh individually uh, a different ssl eq I, I would i would use that um uh the ssl uh channel to uh you know uh, give me something very similar to what i get uh on the desk in the, the real world so um yeah i think uh i mean i could i could go on but uh <laughs> there's a lot you know as i say there's something for every um requirement i think in the the waves um bundles uh you know the, yeah. the in the waves across the waves um spectrum of, of plugins and um they're always very good quality from a sonic point of view and also have all you know generally have all the right functions that you that you want yeah are there any waves plugins you feel are a bit sort of underrated even ones that you don't see other producers using quite as much as yourself for example well, the funny thing is, I don't see a lot of other producers because <laughs> the one, the one, the one. Uh, well, I, I guess I do. I do work collaboratively with with some producers, but I think the people who perhaps you know use waves. I think I. I don't know. I, I'm never sitting in the studio with them, so I don't see. Um, I you know I, I don't really have a gauge on um how popular they the, the various different plugins are and i think there's such a good choice of them that i'm sure everyone has their own um little kind of go-tos and um you know things that they like that suit suit their music i think it really depends on what type of music you're making and what um 
you, you know your, your what your workflow is if you're the type of person who um is writing songs but not necessarily doing the production but you just want to get a really good quick kind of interesting sound on something that'll um give you a certain vibe but isn't necessarily uh something that's that's really um uh you know something you might go back to and, and, and be more specific with then some of the the crystal dalgy ones for um uh you know vocal and guitars and stuff where you've got multiple effects like the compression and the delay and the reverb all in one plug-in are, are probably a very useful tool to have and i do use those from time to time uh when you want to create something interesting that's not just a fairly standard sort of um mix, mix type um processing um but uh, yeah, I'm sure it. I'm sure it varies uh, depending upon um, what your um, what, what what your primary kind of um, tasks and, and and uses are. I would say. Amazing. Thanks so much, Mark. So um, yeah, finally, just a bit of a double part of what what you what you're working on at the moment, what's coming up, and then finally, what if there was a if you wanted to send someone to like your favourite project you're most proud of what would that be as well it'd be amazing to hear about that well uh, yeah at the moment i'm i've got a new single with Jax jones coming um i'm not going to preempt that but it's a song that i've written with him and work collaboratively with him on the production we've, we've done a lot together over the years and he's a he's a brilliant um musician and songwriter as well as dj and producer you know he's uh he's one of uh you know, I guess um, has, uh, he has a lot of in common with a lot of people that I tend to have a long working relationship with. In that they're multi talented and they're multi um, multi skilled, I suppose. Um, and um, yeah, so uh, there's another there's a new clean bandit coming again. I can't uh, divulge uh, track titles and things like that, but mm. but um, uh, there is one. Um, uh, that we've just finished and um the years and years album came out on friday which was uh, uh, an album i wrote and produced uh with uh ollie from years and years last year um it's finally got its release and there's another another single planned uh fairly soon afterwards um and um then beyond that I'm, I, i've got some really um exciting new uh artists who are yet to break through that i'm working with one is called uh, michael aldag who um i've had a he's re we've released a couple of singles last year and we've got more in the pipeline coming um i i you know he's a really uh, he's a young guy from um liverpool who's uh kind of got a, a really good um sort of interesting uh style of songwriting and and singing he's i guess he's He's somewhere similar to sort of Lewis Capaldi, but he's he's um, got um, he's a little bit more kind of um, I'd say left field and and uh, alternative in his lyrical um, approach. Um, he he um, I guess another singer songwriter from Scotland called Brooke Combe. Um, I've got a single coming with her. She's uh, that I've, I've worked on. I've, I've done some production and mix on her single, but we're doing more songwriting over the next few weeks. And um, uh, I think she's a really, really exciting uh, young um, sort of singer songwriter, perhaps from the more 
indie alternative kind of angle, but 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 writes great pop songs and has got a brilliant voice. So uh, um, she's she's someone I'm excited to uh, for everybody to hear her her upcoming singles and um, yeah the 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 I guess you know uh, the second part of your question was what's the work I'm most proud of um i think um that's a much much more difficult question uh, sure. <laughs> to answer i think it, it's uh uh i think if i said one um album or one single it would be unfair to the many others um, yeah i'm all mean um, not so much proud but as a great example of what you do, what would you point someone? Well, I think towards, perhaps I think perhaps two or three albums. I could say perhaps sum up um, my, uh, I guess, um, uh, I, I guess sum up me having the most fun making music. And that's not mm-hmm. to say that it's not fun in, for, with others, but I think perhaps one is the Georgia album, Seeking Thrills, which I mentioned. Um, mm-hmm. Another might be Hot Chips in Our Heads, which was um, the first Hot Chip album I made, which I'm, I um, was very, uh, you know, very much ensconced with them and, and had a, had brilliant fun. Um, and and uh, I guess another would be Hot Nature's album, um, Different Sides of the Sun, which um, uh, we had the single... Uh, benediction from and and you know i guess really you know i think all of those are perhaps great examples of me having one foot in the world of dance music and the other in the world of indie alternative song-based music um and i and i think um, there are many others besides you know i could mention communion by years and years which is a a really fun project and, and something that did extremely well and I was really proud of um and uh you know but I think I think with all of them and certainly if you know the records I've made and 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 continue to make now I guess you, you know I, I I guess hybrid uh is not just a good word for the process and the sonics of what I'm doing but perhaps of the genres as well you know the 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 the, the mixing and matching of um, electronic uh, production and dance music um, culture with with um, uh, uh, sing singer songwriter uh, uh, sort of uh, songs and singer songwriters I suppose um, and that that that's where you know I, I think hopefully. You know, I try and achieve a blend of song-based music with um, dance music mm. and pop music sensibilities. So, um, uh, yeah, I, I hopefully that's a, a good cross-section of uh, of an answer. Yeah. Well, Mark, thanks so much for doing this. It's been brilliant to talk to you. Great. Really cool. Thanks ever so much. Thanks. Have a lovely day and in the studio. Yes, great. Cheers. Headliner Radio, supporting the creative community.